0: Chocolate. 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 From Dame Cacao, I'm Max Gandy, and this is Chocolate on the Road, the show where we explore hot topics surrounding cacao and chocolate cultures around the world. So let's hit the road. Our focus in this pilot episode is the origin story. Just like any good comic book superhero or obsessive collector, I've got one exceptional moment from my past that changed everything. And all the choices I've made up until now have contributed to who and where I am, as well as my relationship with my obsession of choice. Chocolate. Everybody has a memory they associate with chocolate. Most all of them positive. But many fewer people know where it comes from or how it's made. Chocolate's own origin story actually starts in the jungles of South America, as a seed within the tropical cacao fruit, which gets harvested, fermented, dried, sorted, roasted, and ground into chocolate. And that's the simple version of the story. Once you branch out into the other tropical locations in which cacao trees are grown, the flavors, stories, and perspectives get infinitely more complex. And like any good cacao, Many amazing people have had great influence upon me, so it's only appropriate to blend some different origin stories into the first episode. You'll hear from a Coco director, a college student, and a cookbook author, all from very different backgrounds and all brought together by that same little seed. Once again, I'm Max Gandy, the wandering creator behind Dame Cacao. On this show, we'll cover a wide range of topics. Some in the works are Millennials and Chocolate, Cacao Brands, and the Internet. The creation of each of these bi-monthly episodes relies not only upon my own research and editing, but upon the voices of experts and other chocolate explorers. Yes, that's right, I gave us a name. This show was born out of my mostly healthy obsession with craft chocolate. And most people don't know what craft chocolate is. It's also known as fine chocolate or specialty chocolate or bean-to-bar chocolate. But in the end, it's a radically different way to approach and create chocolate. The emphasis is on transparency in sourcing and in connecting the consumer back to the origin, as well as bringing much more money back to the sources but that's a story for another day. Right now, we're heading back to the summer of 2012 when I went to a chocolate tasting at the Chocolate Garage in Palo Alto, California. I was settling in nearby to do a summer program, and my mom took me to a chocolate tasting. Sounded great. And I must have found the combination of learning and free food to be irresistible because every Saturday I went back and tried more and more bars, always leaving with a favorite. Over the next several years, chocolate became a constant in my life, amidst lots of change of scenery and perspective. I continued to share bars from my stash with anyone who would listen. It was a little weird. But less than three years after that first tasting, I was on a flight to Guatemala for the first of three internships in chocolate and cacao. I'm originally from the U.S., I actually earned a grant from my university to study chocolate making in Guatemala City, cacao farming in central Ecuador, and the ins and outs of running a chocolate business just outside of Cusco, Peru. I had lots of missteps during that first solo trip, but I also learned so much in just seven months. It became so much more than just learning about chocolate and cacao. Luckily, a little while before leaving on that adventure, I started my site, damecacao.com. I wanted a place to record all of my learning and review and remember all of the chocolate I encountered along the way. The name actually struck me like a snowball one winter day in my dorm room because I was looking for a name with meaning in both English and Spanish. The site is actually Dame Cacao as well as Dame Cacao which means give me cacao in Spanish. Over time, it's also become a resource site for all chocolate lovers looking for better chocolate and the stories behind it, no matter where they are in the world. In 2016, I moved to rural Korea, and let's just say it's made me appreciate how accessible fine chocolate was back in the States. I'm a naturally curious person, so it seemed like the obvious choice to combine that with my passion for chocolate. If that sounds good to you, then consider this your formal invitation on the road trip. Craft chocolate has always been a community activity, even for the chocolate makers seemingly chained to their factories. So allow me to introduce you to some of the people you'll meet on these bi-monthly road trips. Each of them has an origin story just as unique and contextual as a craft chocolate bar. Or maybe a fine cacao origin. Take Simran Bindra, for example.
1: My name is Simran Bindra, and I'm one of the founders of a company called Cocoa Kamili. We're based here in, uh, in Tanzania. Our operations are based in a place called the Kilimbero Valley in central Tanzania. We work with smallholder cocoa farmers. We buy their wet cocoa beans, which we then bring to our fermentary, where we centrally ferment, dry, grade, blend package and then export the beans to chocolate makers around the world. This
0: is what Simran does now. But how did he get there? And what was it like to settle into and build a life and a business in one of Tanzania's most ecologically important regions?
1: I moved to Tanzania in 2012. I was living in Southern Africa before. And I'd spent my, um, my working career prior to coming here, working in international development, specifically in public health, but I wasn't married to the idea of working in public health for the rest of my life. And I was more and more interested in, in agriculture and how, you know, most people in Africa are, are farmers. Agriculture is the largest, is what the majority of the workforce in sub-Saharan Africa is engaged in, whether it's through formal or informal employment. And so if you want to talk about affecting actual large scale change, you know, you can't ignore the agricultural sector. And while I was I was definitely satisfied with the work that I was doing in public health, I wanted, I wanted to try something different. So when I came here, I was doing some consulting with an NGO, but essentially seconded to the Ministry of Agriculture, researching the history of cocoa in Tanzania and helping to write the country's cocoa strategy. And over the course of that work, I guess I had a couple of things happen. One of which was I became more disillusioned with some of the NGO sector. I felt that a lot of the goals of an NGO were not necessarily aligned in the best possible way with the goals of the intended beneficiaries and sort of just the lack of sustainability around some of these donor-funded projects. At the same time, I crossed paths with this guy, Nathan Nathan Palmer Royston, who used to be in charge of sourcing for, for Theo Chocolate. And through Nathan, I learned started to learn more and more about the at that point burgeoning craft chocolate scene in in the U.S. And what I saw at that point was a lot of, of you know relative um, a lot of chocolate makers starting to establish themselves as bean-to-bar makers, focusing on uh, particularly in two ingredient chocolate, where the origins were what they were of the cocoa beans were what they were using to sort of differentiate their their products. That being said, they were all using the same origins and the origins were all Central and South America and Madagascar because of the work that Batil uh, Akerson has been doing in putting Madagascar on the on the fine flavor cocoa map. And I knew that in Tanzania, we had good genetics, we had good climate for growing cocoa, and I knew that we had really bad post-harvest handling in the fermentation and drying of the beans. And, you know, changing genetics is a long-term project. Um, changing climate is an impossible project. Changing how the beans are treated after harvest is something that we could we we could do. We could learn to do it. we could learn to do that pretty quickly and have a pretty quick impact.
0: They know there's demand for quality cocoa, so how do they go about filling that demand?
1: So at that point, I approached a couple of the well, one of the I was I was good friends with one of the larger buyers of cocoa beans here. Um, who's a much older gentleman. I explained to him what I was thinking about targeting this high end market, which meant that we would have to produce a much higher quality bean. When you're making a two ingredient chocolate bar, 70% of that bar is one ingredient. That one ingredient better taste pretty damn good. Um, and I knew we had the potential in Tanzania. We just hadn't realized that potential. And so I approached one of the, the guys in charge of cocoa for one of the larger buyers and explained that I wanted to do something where we segregate quality and we have a much higher quality for sale at a higher price to, A high-end market and we pass on a lot of those higher prices to the farmers that we work with and he said great you know how many hundred tons you want to start with Um, and i explained that i know i wanted to start with you know maybe five ten tons uh and he was very nice but it was very clear that it sort of that sort of volume wasn't wasn't worth their time and then i looked at working within an existing cooperative in the south of the country But that cooperative had been propped up by donor money for the last 20 years and really should have been allowed to. It was being mismanaged um, and it wouldn't have been a good partnership to go to. And I was bemoaning this sort of potentially missed opportunity to Brian, who's now my business partner. And he sort of encouraged me to take a deeper look at it and to see if it would be something that actually we'd be interested in doing together. And he took a deeper stab at some of the numbers to see if it was actually feasible or not. And that's that's how we that's how we started the business.
0: So while Simran and Brian currently live and work at Origin, this next story is from someone from a country of origin, now living elsewhere.
2: I'm Jonas from Venezuela. I currently live in London, though. I'm finishing my Master in International Business at Holt International Business School.
0: That's Jonas Tejero. And since he's not a chocolate maker or a cacao farmer, some people find it hard to label what he does in the industry.
2: So first I wanted to study politics. I wanted to be a politician. Little did I know that politician meant a lot of corruption, meant a lot of, you don't depend on yourself, you depend on other people. And I, and business, you have that free streamline to create and to make a difference through a product or service. So what I, what I'm sure I wanted to know and what I'm still sure I want to know is to help. Firstly, it was Venezuela, but now I'm growing into Latin America to further develop and succeed in an international world. I was always looking for a possibility on how I never knew how. My first idea was through learning on economic development, then I went down to understanding that exporting product rather than raw materials also works. So I did an internship in a rum company because that kind of kept me going and then I discovered chocolate and since then I've been gaining more and more expertise on chocolate itself. I joined the world three years ago randomly going to a conference in Paris, it was a bakery conference that had a small Venezuelan chocolate station. That created an idea in my head of like, I wanted to help Venezuela one way or another to grow and to develop itself through an alternative to oil. And when I saw chocolate, I was like, this is an interesting opportunity, let's try it. I fell in love with the world and I, and what I fell in love with education around the world, like teaching people about it. Sharing the passion, sharing flavor, sharing everything. So I decided to, to begin a chocolate society at Holt, the Holt Chocolate Society, that at the beginning was, was, the purpose was doing tastings and education and meeting makers. But then we put it further down the line and we utilized the business skills that we learned at uni and apply them to business around the world. So we basically became an education hub and a business consultancy center for practice for us and and for craft chocolate makers to to gain more for their business and and grow faster. I think what made me fell in love with cacao was the complexity of it. The, The fact that it requires so much care, so much dedication, so much understanding, because cacao and chocolate for me is not only an art, It's not only a business, but it's as Lars from Ingeman says that it's a, it's a sign.
0: So while Jonas went from the Americas over to Europe, our next guest did the complete opposite. And her discovery of craft chocolate
3: sounds eerily familiar. The owner had the selection of new American bean to bar chocolate. And all I could, all I could see was like, this is expensive. This is. There's a name of countries on a wrapper I can place on a map.
0: I was especially interested in telling Estelle's story because I found her discovery process to be so similar to my own and to many of my friends at its core. In the end, what she needed in order to understand the difference was to taste.
3: So I'm Estelle Tracy, and I'm originally from France. I've lived in the U.S. since 2002, and I am a writer and a chocolate educator. For me, it all started in 2015. At the time, I had just launched my food survivor guide for French Expats in the U.S. right early summer. And I was trying to figure out what was going to be next professionally, but also in terms of what am I doing this summer? And a friend of mine had run a 50K for her 50th birthday with her best friends. They had the same birthdays. And I remember she, she trained for it for so long and she called me. She faced on me after like that eight hour race with her friend and she was just ecstatic. I was so happy. And I, I looked at her. I thought, oh, wow, I would love to feel this way for my birthday. A few months later, I was going to turn 37. At the time, I remember when I wrote the chocolate section of the Food Survival Guide, I, I had this kind of nagging feeling that I could have done better. And this new coffee shop had opened in my town. And that was where, so it's called Filter Coffee, and the owner had the selection of new American bean-to-bar chocolate. And all I could, all I could see was, like, this is expensive. This is, this is the name of countries on a wrapper I can place on a map. And I was really curious, but I was really, like, I could I, I was not convinced that paying that extra money would translate into a better experience for me. So I would really stay away. And then I remember one day, the owner, Chris, gave me a piece, a very tiny piece of, a, I think it was a 75% Madagascar chocolate from 24 Blackbirds in California. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, this doesn't taste like chocolate.
0: Right there. That's the one moment most every specialty chocolate lover has. But Estelle wasn't content to just know that better chocolate was out there. She wanted to experience it for herself and make a celebration out of it. That's when 37 Chocolates was born. Inspired by her friend's 50k race, Estelle decided to embark upon a marathon of her own, of the chocolate-tasting variety. 37 chocolates tasted before her 37th birthday, all of them as specialty as she could find them. But how to celebrate?
3: I thought, you know, I really want to share it with people. And what better way than, you know, do it on video? It would be so much faster than blogging with words. And, like, I wanted to show the, the chocolate bars. So, what I did is I documented the whole project between May and october thirty first of two thousand and fifteen i do I posted thirty seven reviews of uh chocolate made in the u s They were all on youtube under thirty seven chocolates and really when i fell into when i really um really got into it where I felt like okay this is there is something special there. It really was the eighth review, and I I looked back at the project and I thought, well, what if I had stopped at seven for whatever reason? What if I was just a casual eater? Um, for me, it was like the eighth review when it was a bar by Akali uh, with nibs. So Akali is a, a Akali chocolate is a maker in New Orleans, and um, the the brand was recommended to me by a friend. And it was like, I think it was like 65% milk chocolate with nibs. And there was so much flavor. The texture was like super, like it was creamy, but not too much. And like the nibs were like this nice crunch. And like that bar really won me over.
0: If you haven't quite gotten your fill of these characters, have no fear. Dame Cacao is here. But seriously, all of the guests you just heard from will make a reappearance in a future episode. So what are you waiting for? Subscribe! There are more lame jokes and fascinating stories coming your way. Thank you so much for listening to the first episode of Chocolate on the Road. If you liked it, please subscribe, rate, review, and share the show in any way you see fit. Your support means so much. It keeps me motivated to continue sharing the stories and experiences of a range of amazing guests. For this episode, I also owe an especially huge thank you to Simran, Jonas, and Estelle for being in the first episode. I can't wait to share more from you in the upcoming episodes. To learn more about our guests, check out the show notes of this episode in the link in the description or on my website at damecacao.com. That's d-a-m-e-c-a-c-a-o dot c-o-m. Have a wonderful day and I hope you'll join me next time we go on the road.